Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I went to Ryan Field this weekend to bake in the late September Chicago sun. I got to watch the first turnover of the year for Penn State. I got to watch the band honor Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, and I got to watch Penn State fans grumble about like a four-score win. So it was probably one of the better Saturdays I've had in a long time. So I'm good. How are you? Yeah, Ryan Field seems like an interesting place because I've I've the only other Big Ten team I've been on the road to see is Indiana. Their their stadium does like just it how it looks remind me a little bit of Indiana where it has that like it's a horseshoe thing. It, there are no tiers. It just goes straight vertically up in all the rep. Like, it looks like a souped-up high school field, basically. It felt like those kind of vibes. First of all, easy walk from the train. Phenomenal train experience. Shout-out to, shout to the Purple Line. Really easy to get to. But I'm not, Bill, I'm not sure it has bathrooms. I'm sure it does. I'm not, I'm not confident it has eh. bathrooms because the only bathrooms I saw was just lines of porta that you could access once you scanned your ticket. There weren't, like, a ton out in the parking eh. lots for tailgating, so I was a bit thrown off by that. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely, like, a, it gave off, like, high school football energy vibes, which is actually kind of nice. Like, I got to hear a lot of, like, the players yelling on the field, which was pretty cool yeah. uh, from my vantage point. But overall, like, I get why they're one, they want to build something new. So, all right, so for the people listening, did you hear any player specifically, any player or coach specifically, say anything that like is going to stick with you for some reason was there anything especially funny where is there like an interaction uh where you saw the body language was funny have you anything like that uh that stuck out from being at the game and uh being boots on the ground there was there? one thing that so the way the Penn State section was it was behind the northwestern bench and I couldn't pick out which player it was but after like Penn State went three and out in the first half again because they had a ton of those uh, I got to hear one Northwestern player just really shout that, quote, they ain't shit, which was pretty funny. Like, in that moment, it was pretty funny. Uh, but outside of that, it was, like, nothing that crazy. It was just, like, pads popping and people, like, calling out calls. It was nothing hey. that, like, I thought was interesting to take away. Yeah, you didn't, like, uh, you didn't hear whatever, like, to Cam Miller gently tossing a football at someone and getting a 15-yard penalty. Uh, slap no, on and I couldn't see like that he threw the ball. Uh, so yeah. when the penalty got called, like also by nature of where my seats were, you couldn't see the replay board because it was blocked by scaffolding from some renovations, I'm assuming. So I never saw yeah. what happened. So like I didn't know he threw the ball until later that night when somebody mentioned it to me. I, I had no idea that happened. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a very weird football game uh, involving the Nittany Lions and Northwestern Wildcats. Penn State was able to pick up 41 to 13 win. Uh, Penn State covered the spread, which, um, thanks to some people, was apparent. Some some people thinking that Bo Prabula was trying to take a knee was on a, a, whatever was apparently a controversial thing. But the Nittany Lions were Look, able Bill, to take the. I don't emphatic, often uh, yeah. go into victory formation, but when I do, I always make sure five guys go out for routes. Yeah, his foot very obviously joke. Like if you watch it again, his I I think right. I think it was his right foot was his trailing foot. Yep. It very obviously just slips. And, like, he ends up going down a little bit farther than you might think. It's not like it was, like, the Kenny Pickett fake slide against uh, Wake or whatever the hell it was. But regardless, Penn State was able to pick up the win on the day. Um, I don't necessarily... 
I think from the perspective of how Penn State's defense performed, Matt, 13 points is definitely fair. Mm-hmm. And maybe Northwestern is a little lucky to have gotten that. Yes. Did, did did you feel like Penn State scoring 41 points was a reflection of how, how dominant they were in the football game? No, honestly, I wouldn't. And I'm trying to go back and forth on how yeah. I want to handle this podcast. And I've been rattling my brain about it for like the last like hour before we said we were going to jump on. And there's one perspective here where Penn State went out there and they did not look like the best version of Penn State or like the version of Penn State, Bill. I don't think either of us want to see in week five. Is that fair to say? I I would say that's not only would I say that's fair, I'd say that going into the bye week, there legitimately are alarm bells going off about Penn State, uh, about how Penn State's offense is a their process and how they are able to do things separate from their defense. And we'll get into this over the course of the podcast. For sure. So there's the, there's the Penn State angle to look at, but everything is relative. So there's also the lens of other contenders in college football are like having clunky games as well and not winning them all by three scores. So there's just two ways that I'm trying to look at this through. And I think like the way I'm going to handle it for this pod is that just look at it through the Penn State perspective. Like ignore the fact that Florida State struggled and only beat BC by two. Ignore the fact that Washington struggled and only won by a touchdown against Arizona. Ignore the fact that Georgia struggled and only won by a touchdown against Auburn. I have to get those out of my brain and just look at it at, although it was a 41-point performance, Penn State was not good enough for what we think they can be in that football game. The Singleton fumble, I'll be honest, watching it happen right in front of me, I could see it happening a mile away. Like, when he fielded that kick, I'm like, this is going to end so poorly. You could just tell. That was the only squib kick that Northwestern kicker did all game, and it kind of just froze everybody, and I think Singleton made a poor decision to pick it up. And then that spots him three points right there. So, you know, it just really felt like the team was out of rhythm. It was a sleepy, hot 11 a.m. kick on the North Shore of Chicago. And it just really looked like the team was not ready to go out there and win a Big Ten football game. Yeah, it was it was interesting because James Franklin very clearly prepared this entire week for the players needing to get up and bring their own juice for this game. Considering 11 a.m. kick, considering it was Northwestern, considering all these things, and I thought Penn State's defense, you know, they get they get put on the, they're on their back, their heels early on in the game uh, because of Singleton uh, dropping the opening kickoff. Northwestern had, and this is, I think, a thing that we mentioned on the preview pod, Matt. Northwestern had that one drive, uh, for a touchdown, 10 plays, 59 yards, 5 minutes and 16 seconds, where they were able to just make a few things happen. Yeah. Every team has a, every team like Northwestern that wants to play a little bit faster uh, is prone to having a drive like that. We mm-hmm. saw it in the Illinois game. We saw it, you know, think back to last year. I think Indiana had a drive like that against Penn State. Um, and I think Ben Bryant's going to be one I, of like the top yeah. five quarterbacks they play this year. So, like, I'm fine giving up just really one touchdown drive against what I think is going to end up being hopefully he's healthy and hopefully you know whatever you went out with is nothing serious but I think he's a, I think he's an actual ball player I it, it is at this point where I now mention that Northwestern is 116th nationally in offensive SP plus but uh I I I, I think that the deep like I said the defense did everything it had to do and we'll get to the offense in a second but I want to start by talking about the defense yeah. I think this is going to be a much quicker conversation and it, it, it's they deserve to have us start with yes, 
Absolutely. You know, we normally start offense then defense. The defense deserves to be the t the unit uh, that gets talked about first here because they were they were exceptional in this game. Northwestern had 19 first downs. They were five for 16 on third down, 0 for two on both of their fourth down attempts. 175 total yards, 1.4 yards per rush, 4.2 yards per pass. They only forced that one. I don't even want to say they forced a turnover uh, because the ball was thrown more directly to Daquan Hardy than it was the receiver on that play. That's but the they were easiest able to get the one turnover. Penn State player is yeah. ever going to have. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not one to swear on Blog's Twitter account, but I dropped an f bomb on that one because I was like, <laughs> "What in God's name was he do there?" But I, I think that when we thought think about Matt, what we wanted to see out of Penn State going into this game. We wanted to see one thing out of the offense. We wanted to see one thing out of the defense. We got the defense's best punch here. The defense was able to throw its best punch here. And heading into the bye off of a performance like this, you know, you're going to have to assume they're going to spend the next two weeks walking around with their chest puffed out thinking, rightly so, that they're some of the baddest men in college football. I mean, they're they're doing the opposite of what they did last year in the sense that they are overwhelming passers with a dominant defensive line like they got to 40 sacks last year but a lot of that was Johnny Dixon a lot of that was Curtis Jacobs a lot of that was Abdul Carter I mean I have it pulled up in front of me it's seven sacks Bill I think the only one that involved a uh a non-defensive lineman was the um Keon Wiley one and I think Kobe King may have gotten one in there too but the defensive line is just hitting their stride at the perfect time Amin Vanover and Kaziah Izzard are really like the third and fourth guys in their respective position groups, and they're out there making plays in limited action. Deny Dennis Sutton had a big game. Adisa Isaac had a nice sack. You know, the pass rush is just really finding where I want them to be, and the back seven is just always going to play phenomenal football. Kaelin mm-hmm. King got a couple thrown his way. You know, it worked out pretty well. I saw Kaelin King even got the blitz on a third down. They're keeping him engaged. It just feels like this is the perfect version of the Manny Diaz defense. And, Bill, I'm starting to think we're not going to see a unit play better than this in, like, maybe the whole Franklin era. This is just an insane stretch this unit's on. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I was talking with a friend of mine who's a, a Michigan fan where he said that, you know, the relative weakness of Penn State's team are its defensive tap or Penn State's defense are its defensive tackles. And everywhere else in his eyes, it's NFL caliber guys. It's safety at corner, at linebacker, off the edge. And I said that to say this, like, I was, I saw above everybody else on Penn State's defense, the most impressive player was probably Zane Durant at defensive tackle. Dude. Just, like, the havoc that he was able to cause. Seeing uh, him in person, in that position, like, as close as I was able to, I cannot believe how thick that dude is, like, in the legs. That dude looks huge. His lower half looks ginormous. It's you can tell he's all explosive off the line, and he made plays happen at I think his most dominant rate on Saturday. He looked outstanding. Yeah, he uh, led Penn State's defense or Penn State's defensive tackle group uh, in snaps with 32. Next uh, was a tie between Devon Ellis and Nikki Beeman uh, with 24, and. True, truly, Matt, is there anything that we can say about Penn State's defense that hasn't been said before? I, mean, I think the thing that made 
maybe made this game a little bit different was the fact that they had to go out, they had to find that juice, find that energy, find that spark right from the get-go with Nick Singleton making a, making a mistake and then the offense having, you know, really taking a bit to start to get into a rhythm. I, after the, uh, after the field goal, six plays and a punt, 11 plays and a field goal, six plays and a punt, three and out, six plays for a touchdown. Like, it's not like they were out there. It's not like they were out there consistently going up against a not great offense, but one that was in disadvantageous positions all game. They just went out there and said, no, we're going to put our, we're going to put our stamp on this football game. And as a result, like, I just don't know what else there is to say about Penn State's defense at this point. Oh, one final thing. On top of, like, their dominance just with, I think, pure athleticism, they were really well prepared for this game. That Zion Tracy tackle on that fake punt uh, was awesome. That was really well scouted. Yeah. And everybody saw it coming. So I love that it's both preparedness as well as just this God-given talent and athleticism. I think that is the perfect place for this defense to exist in. And, Bill, you said it best. There's, like, I can only say this defense is outstanding so many times, and I generally enjoy watching them, like, maybe more than I enjoy watching the offense sometimes. Well, that's not a maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I, Yeah, it, it's the speed of this unit. It's the talent all over the place. Like, oh, the first... Uh, I think it was on the first or the second drive of the game um, for Northwestern. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, or no, it was uh, the second drive of the game, first play of that drive. Uh, Northwestern gets a field goal. Penn State comes out, six plays. Riley Thompson has to punt it. Right out of the gate, Matt, on that first drive, Kobe King just gets his way right into the backfield and blows up Ben Bryant for what I think was the first sack of the game that Penn State ended up having. And I think that's the thing that impressed me, the impresses me the most about this defense and something that we saw here is that like we could sit here and expect that Chop Robinson, Deny Dennis Sutton, Adisa Isaac, Abdul Carter, uh, Kaylin King are going to flash, but it feels like every single game, and this game was, uh, th- this game certainly fits into that, there are different guys than we might expect going out there making the kind of splash plays that, that they stick out in our minds, they stick out on the highlight tape, and they make you feel more confident that Penn State's going to have an answer for anything and everything as the season goes on. It's all depth, baby. It's all about building depth, and they're finding <laughs> ways. Real quick, one last point. I know I just said one last point. Um, Bill, go back and watch Jordan Vandenberg try to find somebody to block on the Daquan Hardy pick. Uh, he clearly has no idea what he's supposed to be looking for, and it's just really funny. Why would why would anyone have any idea what they were supposed to be looking for after they just saw they saw the pass that uh Brendan Sullivan threw? It's a there. fair point. It's a very fair point. Yeah, good. Like you just looking through the box score. Thirty two carries, forty five yards. Obviously, sacks are put into that. Their top ball carrier was their backup quarterback who ran it seven times for twenty five yards, four point two yards per attempt through the air. Like it's. God almighty. It, it, is there a player, uh, Matt, in that, you know, we'll do game balls obviously in a second, mm-hmm. but among the, among maybe the more obvious players, was there anyone in particular who you thought had a, just a really, really good football game? I mean, Durant's the obvious choice there, but 
I'm going to give yeah. a hat tip to Tyler Elsden. Uh, he had a good play yeah. on that. I think it's fourth and short where they tried to do that QB sneak everyone's doing nowadays where you just push the guy. Uh, Elsden mm-hmm. jumped on top and I think met the ball carrier in the air, and that was a yeah. good play. Another wheel route, man coverage, Elsden gets out there, and you know I want to see him get his head around, but it wasn't called. It wasn't really PI either, but he went out there and he made a couple of nice plays, and that's great to see. Guys can get better. Mm-hmm. Guys can improve, and I think that's a philosophy we really have to start taking into consideration on the offensive side of the ball, but it's really good to see, even in this defense, which, you know, if you're not performing, it's easy to see a quick hook for you. It's good to mm-hmm. see guys still get a chance to go out there and prove that they can add a lot of value to this defense, so a little bit of a hat tip to Tower Elston there. Yeah, and that's where that's where the way that they've built up the depth on that side of the football over the first five games or so, five games of the season was like really beneficial, right? Like we we know that Kobe King is probably Penn State's best option at Mike linebacker, but Tyler Elson is still getting out there, getting on the field plenty. We know that they probably like Jalen Reed as their number one safety, but they have other options there that they could put on the field. Cam Miller has ended up getting a ton of time uh, as a result of the depth that they've been able to build up. You look at defensive ends, Zariah Fisher leads the team in sacks, or he's tied for the team leading sacks with Adisa Isaac. Uh, Amin Vanover just explodes off of the line of scrimmage. Like it, It's all these little things, and in a game like this specifically against a team like Northwestern that was able to throw a few punches early on, Matt, that's why I don't, like, it's not a coincidence that Northwestern had three points in the second half. It just didn't look like they had anything. Penn State's ones are rested. Penn State's twos are get and threes are getting experience. As games go on, it's something we talked about earlier in the season uh, with how it's going to be very hard to come from behind on Penn State. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that from the defense and how they are able to just continuously throw haymaker after haymaker after haymaker on an opposing no team. No points allowed in the third quarter yet this year. That's a that's a hell of a stat. That's hope that goes yeah. on as long as possible. For sure. And speaking of things that we hope go on as long as possible, I think it's time to talk about the podcast sponsor, which is Homefield Apparel. Nice transition. Apparel. That's Homefield. well done. I'm a professional. Uh, Homefield Apparel. Matt, did you wear your Homefield Apparel to the game this I weekend? I did. I wore my... I didn't wear white uh, to the road game. I know you're supposed to. I didn't. Uh, but I rocked my script Nindy Lions t-shirt. Uh, and I saw some Homefield on the train, actually, on the way up. My train. Okay. Uh, I took the red line up to um, the end of the red line, essentially, um, at Howard. And then I jumped off at Howard, and then I took Howard to Central on the purple line. And my entire red line train at one point was just Penn Staters who were getting up there to go transfer. So that was pretty cool. And a lot of home field apparel in that yeah. crowd, too. Yeah, I was rocking uh, my uh, 1986 uh, National Championships t-shirt. Good but shirt. Home field, the thing with home field apparel, very good shirt. They have lots of very good shirts. They have lots of very good hoodies. They have lots of very good uh joggers they have lots of very good crew necks they have basically anything that you could want if you are a college sports fan for your school or for another school that might potentially interest you i know that i've uh purchased ohio state uh attire for uh for my girlfriend i have sent over west virginia attire to my brother-in-law and told him to spend money without telling my sister he was dipping into their shared account so he can buy himself something Homefield Apparel, it's the kind of company worth spending some money on, even if it will get you in trouble with your significant other. Penn State, they actually just added a couple new things to their Penn State collection, a brand new uh, collegiate seal ringer t-shirt with a brand new 1994 Rose Bowl uh, hoodie. That's beautiful. That hoodie looks nice. They are 
awesome. The crew neck in particular is one that, I, you know, once that next direct deposit hits, I'm going to be spending some money on it. If you would like to spend a little bit of money on home field apparel, please use our promo code RLR23 for for 10 or 15%, Matt. It's 15%. 15% off of your first order if you are a new customer. Again, RLR23 for 15% off of your first order if you are a new customer. Thank you, as always, to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. And Matt, let's move to the less stellar side of things. Which this is, is the weirdest the thing to talk about. Well, I think it's weird if you just look at the fact that they scored 41 points without a little bit of context. And I even mean stuff like, you know, they only had, they had 353 yards of total offense, 30 of them, uh, which went down as their second longest passing play of the game was the one play that the backup quarterback played. So Penn State's first team offense or offense with the first team quarterback out there had 323 yards of total offense and 34 points while also getting really advantageous field position with some frequency. And I I think that when if you just kind of, and I know this in part because we have friends Matt who have said so I watched the game 41 points pretty good. It just it was a really disjointed effort I thought by Penn State's offense. So the reason I think this is so weird to talk about is Penn State is the top scoring offense in the Big Ten. Bill, I don't think either you, me, or anybody listening to this podcast had that on their bingo board. Is that fair to say? Uh, Yeah, that's probably fair. And the next closest team, let me make sure I have this right. Yeah, that's correct. Next closest team is then Maryland, who has played Towson, Charlotte, maybe the worst Power 5 team in Virginia, Michigan State, and Indiana. None of those teams are going to be hanging their hat on their past defense or their defense as a whole anytime soon. So... I'm saying all this to say Penn State's offense clearly looks off, but the way this offense looks off is that it looks off in a way a 2004 Penn State offense probably looked on. The thing that they do well are these methodical, long four yards, four yards, three yards, 12 yards, three yards, those kind of drives. And we're all conditioned, I think, really since Franklin got here to think that big plays, explosive plays, that's what's going to win you these big games. And they're just not here right now. I don't know where they are. I'm sure they're in there somewhere. You look back, you watch the tape, you see, you know, it's one missed assignment here. It's an overthrow here. It's a drop here. It just feels like this offense is not clicking in a way we're comfortable with. And I don't know if some of that's by design. Or if it's just the horses just aren't ready to run the way we hope they could run yet. Uh, g- give me a sec. I just I had this pulled up in my stupid finger. Uh, <laughs> clicked on something wrong. But I, I think a very uh, a very fun thing to note with points per game uh, is that th- number one in the Big Ten is Penn State. Number two is Maryland. Number three is Ohio State. Number four uh, is Michigan. Uh, a very fun thing about that is that. Penn State, Maryland, and Michigan have played the three softest schedules in the Big Ten in terms of uh, uh, the college uh, ESPN's FBI PI strength of schedule. Maryland has played the easiest schedule among all Big Ten teams, and then Michigan, and then Penn State. So it's very funny now that I go back and look at it uh, how that correlation has happened. And then Ohio State, obviously, their offense just has not been 
quite at their absolute sparkling best, but they're buoyed by the fact that they kicked the hell out of Western Kentucky. Yep. Uh, so, funny thing to note there. But yeah, I, I, I think that when we look at Penn State's offense, I think a really telling stat you know, mention, you mentioned big plays, Matt, and I think the reason that we're so conditioned to do that is because we know for a fact James Franklin and Mike Yurcich are actively seeking those out. James Franklin has been seeking those out since the day he got to Happy Valley in 2014. Mike Yurcich, since she was hired as Penn State's office coordinator, and the thing that I found really interesting, uh, I went and looked at yards per play over the last, oh, oh, during this college football season. Penn State is tied for 83rd nationally in yards per play with Mississippi State, Jacksonville State, Minnesota, South Alabama, South Carolina, and Wyoming. Since Big Ten play started for Penn State, so over its last three games, and obviously, you know, not everyone's played conference games. Or some teams have played conference, a non-conference games against a better team, whatever. Penn State's at, since, so over the last three games, Penn State's at 4.6 yards per play, which is tied for 110th nationally with Charlotte, Army, Cal, Akron, Arizona State, Ohio University, UTEP and San Jose State. And I bring that up. I bring that up in reference to the game that we just saw Penn State play because that just tracks with what we saw in this game. Drew Aller was at 5.7 yards per attempt, seemed very, seemed a little too eager to take his checkdowns. When they were there, Penn he's State's got to throw a pick. top receiver. He's got to throw a pick. We we have to Penn we have to rip the bandaid yeah. off. He's got to throw one. Penn State's top receiver on the day in terms of receptions was Nicholas Singleton, who had caught six balls for thirty nine yards, six point five yards per uh, reception. And then on the topic of Singleton, you then go to the running game. Penn State ran the ball thirty nine times for one hundred and thirty four yards, which is three point four yards per carry, which is obviously like a little bit wonky because like six of those plays were our trying to barrel himself forward <laughs> but singleton at 3.8 yards per carry hour of 5.7 yards per attempt you look at hours yards per attempt numbers basically since the west virginia game and do did this game matt in your opinion feel different from illinois iowa and Illinois and Iowa in how Penn State's offense struggled, or do you think it's just kind of been one common through line over the course of the season so or over the course of the last couple of games so far? I think it's still how do I want to word this? I think it's twofold. I think it's the running backs were so good so early, and I think that you're always trying to improve. And I think the biggest thing that Singleton especially could have improved at was being patient and waiting for holes to develop. I think that is in his head a little bit and taking away some of those, I'm just going to find grass and use my instincts and get to the open field. There was one run, I think his longest run of the day was like 15 yards, where it looked like 2022 Nick Singleton. And then on the passing game front, I think it's Drew Aller wants to be efficient. That's a word he keeps using. And the receiver's aren't allowing him to do that because they're either running the wrong route, they're dropping passes, or they're not gaining separation. For all the guys not named Keandre Lambert-Smith, who was awesome on Saturday, I, I thought. They really miss really Trey Wallace. They really uh -huh. need Amari Evans, who, real quick, I do want to say, there was one uh, curl route to Amari that was tipped at the line of scrimmage. Amari had like two yards separation already. I think that would have been an explosive play. I think Amari would have made a guy miss in space. So there's that element of it all, where just passes are getting tipped. It just feels like that passing attack 
cannot get on the right page. And thankfully, they have really 20 days at time of recording for, before Ohio State to figure it out. But again, five games in, they haven't yet. So like now I'm really starting to get nervous that those big plays we saw against West Virginia may have been a flash in the pan and not something sustainable. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that the caveat, Matt, of since West Virginia, because the West Virginia, one, you know, the the positive side of it is that's increasingly looking like a really good win for Penn State. But in that game, Drew Aller, 21 for 29, 325 yards, 11.2 yards per attempt, three touchdowns. If he plays like that all season long, he is a Heisman contender. But since the West Virginia game, 81 for 129, 62.7%. 767 yards, 5.9 yards per attempt, six touchdowns, no interceptions. And one thing that I've been tracking over the course of the entire season is his numbers compared to Sean Clifford's numbers last year. And Clifford threw two more interceptions. Clifford ran for two more touchdowns. Clifford's yards per attempt were a little bit higher, but they are eerily similar. And I think that we're seeing with Aller, and this game was a really good example of that. I don't know if it's a mental block. I don't know if it's just a desire to not make mistakes or whatever it is, but he's not taking those deep shots. He actually did take one deep shot. It was a pretty well-thrown ball to Dante Cephas where, uh, he drops it right in the bread basket for Cephas and then Cephas gets a foot in the ground, just dislodged it. And I almost wish that was like his third throw of the game. Matt, I wish they then I would understand. Yeah. yeah. Then I would have understood why he wasn't take, hasn't taken more of those deep shots. Cephas just kind of on that note, like our obviously trusts him, but Cephas needs to start rewarding that faith that he had two receptions on seven targets on the day. And there was that drop. There were a couple of miscommunications. The fourth down catch was a nice play. I'll give him credit there. The fourth down catch was a nice play. The fourth down catch, Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially because, like, that wasn't Aller's best. You go back and look and, like, he just put it a little too low and he just went down and made it. But that was was a good play by him. Mm -hmm. But Penn State's receivers, you know, it's kind of, it's the fear that I think we had coming into this season, Matt, where... Penn State's receivers just need to be a little bit better, a little bit more consistent. Mm -hmm. And I think compounding that and what we saw in this game is that Drew Aller has, thank God the bye week is this week and it's a chance for him to work on some things because I didn't think he had a very good football game. No, and again, that's I do wonder what the script would have looked like had Singleton not fumbled that opening kickoff. You know, nobody ever wants to play from behind, especially on the road, in a weird environment. Like, I, I understand theoretically what they could have been going for. But, you know, that point you made, Bill, about you want that deep shot to be, you know, throw three of the game. I couldn't agree more. I think we need to have the mm-hmm. lid get taken off. And I think that's going to open up everything else, especially for the running game. So, Aller definitely did not look the sharpest he's ever looked. But, again, he's taking care of the football. He, he makes some throws that you're just like, yep, that, you know, there's that guy is definitely still in there. But, you know, that's why I say he has to throw that first interception. He has to, I think you said it best in our Slack today, Bill. He has to see that he can throw a pick and it won't kill him. Like, this yeah. is a, it's, it's, a, this is a complete Penn State team. If he throws a pick, I guarantee the defense can go out there and they feel confident they can force the offense to commit four turnovers any given Saturday. So it has to be this two way street. So I hope yeah. we start to see Aller take some shots. 
I don't know if we're really going to see a lot against UMass, but you know, in Columbus, he's going to have to be ready to hit some deep shots if they yeah. want a shot to win. So I hope that the next 20 days are just a lot of focus on that. Yeah, and like here's a here's a stat that I think you are going to hate, and I know all of our listeners are really going to hate, but like on the road this season, Trey Potts has as many road passing touchdowns as Drew Aller does. Drew Aller has not thrown for more than 208 yards since the West Virginia game. And this game, one thing that I think we were all looking forward to, Matt, was the opportunity for him to come out and let loose a little bit, be willing to take a few more risks, that kind of thing. And they just didn't do that. And I think it's very telling that the ways to explain it away are a lot of, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe this, it's this. And not this is just what this kid is right now. He he has chances to potentially build off of that. Again, I think the bye week is coming at a really great time for him in terms of guys getting healthy, all that. But like, he just ne- he needs to see that Penn State can't be the team that we think it can be unless he is playing at the level that we think he is capable of because we've seen signs of it. And I think, Matt, him doing that would really help Penn State's running game, which didn't have an especially good game on Saturday. Uh, Trey Potts had that really nice touchdown run. Nick Singleton, I I think you can see how frustrated he is and it's coming from a place of expecting more out of himself. And Katron Allen obviously got hurt. So just generally, what do you think was up with Penn State's running game on uh, on Saturday? How concerned are you about their performance? And do you think they're, they're another one of those groups that's going to really benefit from having this bye week coming up? First things first, on the injury front, two things. I did see Katron Allen at the alma mater after the game. He was like holding his, it looked like his stomach kind of vibes. I don't know what the injury diagnosis is yet. I don't think we will. I think fair to say he will not play against UMass, but whatever it was, he was well enough to go out there and sing the alma mater. JB Nelson, I have no idea. He was carted off to like very little fanfare because he was carted off from the sideline. It's not like he was like in the game when it happened. So it was a hot day. Like, I don't know if just dehydration hit him, like unexpectedly hot, but you know, those are two big cogs in the Penn State running game. And Bill, sorry, what did you say the biggest reason you thought the unit struggled was? I, I, I'm not even a hundred percent certain. Like, yeah, I, I, my, my, my honest, my honest to God guess is that Singleton and Allen are just not doing a good enough job and making guys miss. Like I, it, yeah, I think it's I think it's Brenton Strange is gone. Yeah. That's a huge part. The tight ends are not blocking up to that standard. The offensive line has been fine, but it's clear that they're a pass block focused unit, and the running backs just aren't hitting their hole. Trey Potts looks like a guy who has hit adversity, overcome it, and is running like a guy who knows he's going to have a bad run or two, and he's not afraid to let that happen. And that's what I think is letting him be so successful. I think Singleton and Allen have to, especially Singleton, have to work their way through those inner demons and just say, I'm going to lose three yards here. Maybe the big play's not here. Maybe I shouldn't be so patient here. Like, yeah, it's all things that are going to come. But I really, I really am surprised that, you know, 
both those guys aren't hitting the ground like we thought they would. Yeah, and I, if you actually go back and look on Potts' t- touchdown run, they pull both Norzad and Wormley, and Norzad gets right through that hole, blocks a linebacker, and Potts has to make one guy miss, and he makes that one guy miss, and he's able to scamper right into the end zone. And it's just felt to me like Allen and Singleton when they're in a phone booth like that, aren't able to just do that one thing to get by someone, which is surprising because they were like exceptional at that last year. Like I, I think Penn State's off the line has been fine, not great. I, I think the tight end, the stuff with the tight ends uh, and how having a tight end is going to just inherently bring an extra guy into the box is certainly valid. But it, the entire... This was a game against a really bad... I mean, it's similar to the passing defense, Matt. This was a game against a really bad running defense to be able to go out and impose yourself a little bit, and they just never felt like they did that. No, and, you know, I'm not saying it's Villanova 2021 vibes, but... Kind of, kind well, of feels well, the like thing, that. The and thing I'm, getting, Villan- I'm more nervous today. The thing with yeah. the Villanova 2021 game was that the offensive line couldn't do anything. And right. I don't th- necessarily think that's the case. I think the offensive line looks more like, obviously, they haven't been a 10 out of 10. They've been a 6 no. out of 10, a 7 out of 10. And instead, for, you know, by my estimation, the concern with me is more on the running backs. And I think the fact that the quarterback hasn't been able to punish teams for quarterback and the wide receivers haven't been able to punish teams for really going working in on this running game. I do wonder if it's like, do you think they're holding anything back? No, it, I, like, it's I, game I, I think it's ridiculous. It's game five. I'll be honest. I think it was 10, 10 against Northwestern. It's game five. I it's, don't. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think that is a line that, fans frequently use to try and justify why their team was struggling. But if Penn State was holding something back when they were in a dogfight against Illinois, if Penn State was holding something back when it was really gross and obviously not clicking against Northwestern, then that's a problem. Like, that is not a good thing. They should not be holding things back if this mantra of 1-0 and is something that the coaching staff actually believes. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Again, it's game five. Like the season's almost halfway over. You know, you are what you record says you are at this point. You are what you are at this point. So, I do I do think they're going. I think they have to take shots against UMass. I think they can afford yeah. to. I think they have to throw at least one deep ball a drive. I think you have to do it, and then see I, what happens yeah. from there. You know, but after UMass, Bill, are you and I going to be on this podcast saying, oh, I feel like it's fixed now? We're going to say, no, it's UMass. No. So, like, we've hit this point of the season where it's the impossible dilemma we're in, where that we want it to be fixed, but it can't be fixed until the biggest game of the year. Yeah, and I I, I tweeted something along these lines at halftime of the game yesterday, which was basically that, like, there are all these things that I think are true on Aller, but the second half yesterday was a huge one for him, and by extension, a huge one for Penn State's offense, because mm-hmm. it was the last time they'd be going up against a Power 5 defense before they walk into this little shop of horrors two miles away from my apartment, and they were either going to look like a team 
look like an offense that is capable of moving the ball consistently, winning down the field, doing the sorts of things that great offenses have to do, and we're going to have our concerns quelled a little bit. Or they weren't going to do that, and we were going to be recording this on Sunday at 8.57 p.m., Matt, going, ooh, I don't know how great I feel right now. Is, is there anything about the offense right now, particularly that we saw during the Northwestern game, that you feel good about? Oh, uh, I get 41 points in you know a game they were stuck in third gear in is, is a pretty impressive in and of itself. Uh, does kicking count here? Can I give Felk a shout out here and uh, sure. Riley if, Thompson if to. for getting that snap down? That was a high st- high snap that the uh, the senior transfer duo really handled pretty well. Yeah, uh, Tyler Warren with a good catch. He's the first overall pick. People forget. Um, you know, it's just cool to see Trey Potts. Well, it's, Warren's, it's re- it's Warren's. I want to say something really. The Warren thing is weird to me because he seems like a guy they should be relying on more frequently. Like, he seems like a guy who's just really good at using his size Mm -hmm. when he's in specific places and he has, like, a sure set of hands. It's a little bit weird to me they're not, like, making it a point to target him more I disagree with you on that point, Bill, just because I think he was such a big part of the Iowa game plan. Like, two tutties in the whiteout. And then I think it was very clearly, just with how much they rotated, it was very clearly a wide receiver-focused game plan last week, I think, is is where I'm going to fall on that. So, I see your point, and, like, listen... I'm absolutely the kind of guy who wants Tyler Warren to be more involved, but I think that it's gonna it's gonna law of averages itself back out. I think. Let's let's see if I can find his. I can't find his. Uh, unfortunately, can't find his targets number on on the year. But I he, he is a guy who I would like to see our throw to a little more. I will say this: I I think that with each passing week, I become a little less concerned about Keandre Lambert-Smith's ability to be the guy. Yeah, I'm not worried about it and, at all anymore. Yeah. That dude can he's, play. He could play. He's electric when the ball gets in his hands. Uh, you know, he is already... He already has the second most uh, receptions that he's ever had in a season for Penn State. He's already tied for second for the most receptions he's ever... Uh, touchdown receptions he's ever had in a season for Penn State. Like, he's a guy that... I want to see them find ways to get him the football more. And one thing that really sticks out to me is sometimes he is just able to catch the ball and then get another 20 yards. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind you know, his big reception, uh, his 35 yarder uh, against Northwestern was a really good example of that. And I think that's something that Aller could really use. I think he, I think getting, him getting the ball to his athletes in space, whether that is Lambert Smith, whether that is Singleton, even whether that's a guy like Dante Cephas, is something that would be really beneficial for him because I almost feel like if he's not going to be generating big plays by just taking deep shots, you need to let start getting those big plays by getting your athletes the ball, letting them be athletes, and maybe using that as a way to build your quarterback's confidence up a little bit. And I hope the return of Trey Wallace adds another guy to that mix. Yeah, for sure. So, that I don't know. The offense definitely has me concerned. I don't love what I saw, but again, they're, they're performing at a level that I think is a... They're passing every test so far. Are they acing every test so far? No. But there's been a lot of years where they did not even pass every test. Yeah. Yeah. And... 
I think now's a good time. Let's hand out some game balls. Yeah. Uh, offense game ball, defense game ball. Who are you giving them to, Matt? So offensive game ball, I'm going to steer your thunder a bit here, Bill. Keandre Lambert-Smith, the guy's electric. I love that he is this security blanket. I think he is going to just continue to get better as the year goes on. So offense for me, it's Keandre Lambert-Smith. I am I think I'm actually going to give mine to Nick Singleton just because nice. I, I like the way that he keeps fighting. Um I think that once he hits a big one, that's going to be huge for him. I, I think so much of it right now with him is just confidence and frustration, these sorts of things. But even in the face of that, 119 yards of total offense and a pair of touchdowns uh, on a day when Penn State needed someone to be able to find their way into the end zone. I'll, uh, it, it's maybe a little bit um, participation trophy e. But I'm going to give mine to Nick Singleton, who you got on defense. So I'm going to give it to a, a second-year defensive lineman, and that's denied Dennis Sutton. Not the flashiest day in the stat sheet. Three tackles, two tackles for loss, and a sack, you know, comparatively to you know what we see these big defensive ends have sometimes. But being at that game, I felt like Denai Dennis Sutton was making plays in the backfield all of the time. So number 33 gets it for me this week. Yeah, and I have to give it to Zane Durant. Got Four to. tackles, three for loss, one sack. Like, just... The exact kind of game that we've been waiting, we've wanted to see out of someone along at the defensive tackle spot for Penn State. And, you know, his explosiveness. I Matt, I know coming into the season, you were a big Hakeem Beeman guy, and he certainly hasn't been, like, terrible or no. anything. But the, the game that we saw Zane Durant have is the game that we've been hoping to see Hakeem Beeman have with some level of consistency. So I think Zane's, like, the, uh, Zane's the breakout star, I think, of Big Ten play so far. He he's up there. I against Northwestern, four tackles and a sack. Uh, didn't have anything against Iowa. Didn't have he had one tackle against Illinois, but just an electric football player. And I, I Penn State for how good it is elsewhere on its defense, being able to have a guy it can rely on to make plays from the defensive tackle spot is huge. Uh, so yeah, I we're about to enter the bye week. Uh, we're going to any any fun plans for this weekend, Matt? Uh, with no Penn State football. On? No, uh, Jen's running. My girlfriend is running the uh, Chicago Marathon on Sunday. So uh, so Saturday is going to be just uh, laying low. You know, staying off our nice. feet. I say I say mine like I'm doing anything. Um, you know, just going to be uh, having a nice weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Being 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 moral support in these kind of things is really important. True, it is. Yeah. Uh, so just going to be a lot of sitting around, watching a lot of football, yeah. watching uh, what's going on elsewhere uh, in the sport. I There's a part of me that, there's a little voice in my head that wants me to head up to see the local team take on Maryland at noon. I'm probably not going to end up doing that, but there's a little part of me that wants to do that. And, you thought, have you been to the shoe before? Um, I... You know, you know that G Fed guy on TikTok who, yeah, uh, wa- yeah who like walks onto fields, mm-hmm. and uh, I-, I did that with Ohio State once. Uh, yeah. Of course, be- this was a decade ago before I knew what when G Fed was probably like ten years old, but neither here nor there. Uh, it might not be fun for you, Bill. I don't know. It might be cool to check out, you know, a historic stadium with no real stake in the game. I've I've gone back and forth on this. Yeah. Ultimately, I just don't know if I want to expose myself to Ohio State fans any farther. That's fair. Uh, but we've we've kind of touched on this, Matt, through this episode of the podcast, and we will have a big like we'll we'll spend more time talking about this stuff uh, either at the end of this week or the start of next week. 
coming into this season, you said Penn, you predicted eleven and one for Penn State. I predicted ten and two. I don't remember. Did you predict them to beat Michigan or Ohio State? I I cowered it out and I did not give a prediction there because I have no idea. Okay, so you said one or the other. Oh, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I obviously think predict they lose both of them. As we sit here through five weeks and we're talking about a five and zero Penn State team that does seem to have some flaws about it. Are you more, less, or as confident in your 11-1 prediction? More. More confident, okay. Two reasons. Why? The Michigan, I'm sorry, the Ohio State offensive line and law of averages on the Michigan front, I will bet against any person to not go 24-0 in the regular season in the Big Ten in a two-year stretch. I will bet against anybody. Um, And I just think Penn State's the best shot to win uh, that Michigan game, and I think watching the Penn State defensive line find its rhythm, uh, I think can rattle a Ryan Day, who uh, I'm assuming spent his bye week throwing darts at Lou Holtz's picture. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, it's taken everything in me not to make fun of everyone I know over that. Uh, but neither here nor there. Like, I, I'm equally confident as I was leaning a little bit more towards more confident in them going 10 and two just because of the the issues that we have seen on offense. And I think Penn State's defense is box off. I think they have been exceptional. There's the little voice in my head that goes, hey, West Virginia, Delaware, Illinois, Iowa, Northwestern. But I've seen plenty of teams, you know, mess around and find out and not play up to their standard against opponents of that competition, of that level, and Penn State has managed to do that. So I'm not going to knock them for that. I I think the defense has been lights out and should continue to be very good as the year goes along. Penn State's offense has not lived up to my expectations, and Penn State's offense has been so dependent on Penn State's defense that it concerns me a bit what happens if the defense isn't able to bail them out. And what I mean by that is that Penn State has scored 12 touchdowns in Big Ten play this year. Six of those, two against Illinois, two against Iowa, two against Northwestern, came off of turnovers with one of those turnovers obviously being the recovered uh, punt that bounced off of an Iowa player. So that was more of a special teams thing. But... The Penn State's field position in those situations, one was on Penn State's 43, the other three, opposing teams 30, opposing teams 39, opposing teams 19, opposing teams 34, opposing teams 30. And my concern is that what ha- is what happens when those drives end in punts and not when those drives end in a big play by the defense that gets them the ball in a position where they should be able to turn it into points no matter what. And I completely agree. I don't think Ohio State's offensive tackles are any good. I think their defense is excellent. And I think that obviously they have skill position talent. And Michigan, I just think they're the I think they are probably the best team in the country. So it's really hard for me to get to a point where I will predict that Penn State will beat either of those teams. So I still feel good about saying 10 and 2, Matt. 
and we just fundamentally dis like I, I, we just disagree on that. Like, and and that's fine. We've gone back and forth all off season. Those are all really great points. Like, I understand that the offense isn't what we want it to be yet, but it is what it is. And like, I I've always said this is the window year. Like, if they're gonna do it, I can't imagine they'll do it on with a team that you know isn't as talented as this. So, I if you were to tell me right now, w- would they beat Michigan? I'm probably gonna say no. Would they beat Ohio State? I'd probably say no. But if you give me that sweet spot that says, will they beat one of those two? I will say yes. That doesn't make any sense now that I say it out loud. But in my brain, it kind of does. Like, in a vacuum, Penn State should never lose to Ohio State. Ohio State outspends them like crazy. They recruit better. They have a much more engaged fan base. Like, that is the pillar of football in Ohio. And that's fine. Like, Penn State has the Steelers and the Eagles in the state, blah, 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 whatever. Michigan is the perfect version of what Michigan wants to be. They should never lose as this version, but inevitably somebody will beat them. And I just feel like Penn State is the kind of team with that defense, with what I still believe the talent on the offense could produce. I just think they have a really good shot to beat one of the two. Yeah, I think, uh, God, I just had this up somewhere. Give me one second. Uh, Going into uh, both of those games, if you're just trying to go, on a neutral field. Las Vegas thinks Ohio State is three and a half points better than Penn State on a neutral field. Michigan is five and a half points better than Penn State on a neutral field. If you go to SP Plus, Michigan is 6.8 better, 6.8 points better than Penn State in a neutral field, and Ohio State would be 6.3. So it's an there's an it's an uphill climb. It's something that they're going to have to um it's something they're really gonna have to figure out. And fortunately that's what Part of the benefit of having the bye week right here, Matt. Um, anything else you want to say before we send the people on to the start of their week? No, that's all I got. Uh, if you went to the game, hope you had fun. Hope you enjoyed the city. Yeah. Uh, and I'm excited to have a nice, relaxing week here. Are we we might pop in here for a midweek pod, Bill, but no promises. I don't know how we're going to handle this yet. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to this edition of Royal Eyes War. Make sure you're going and subscribing wherever you go and get your podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. If you use Spotify, please. Uh, there's this new Q&A feature that we've uh, been using as a way to get questions in from all of you guys. Uh, we do have to keep using that, especially with uh, this week being a week where we need stuff to talk about. Please give us stuff to potentially talk about here in the podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter over at RLR blog. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube, head into the YouTube comment section, talk about Penn State football a little bit. And of course, thank you again to Homefield Apparel. Remember the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order if you're a new customer. One last time, thank you very much, very much for listening. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.